0: Hey there. My name is Aubrey Henderson. I'm a self-worth coach and professional calm in the chaos. I believe that when you're feeling stuck in your life and you can't decide on the next right step, that getting some perspective or a pep talk from someone outside of your shoes can be an absolute game changer. This podcast is that pep talk. Every week, I'll share my responses to listener questions, real life coaching sessions, and interviews about topics that you can connect with and learn from. All things that will help you to reconnect with your own self-worth and inner goodness and vision for your life so you can feel great and get shit done. Welcome to Ask Aubrey. I'm so glad you're here. Hey babes, welcome to this week's episode. This week is the last episode in our people-pleasing mini-series. And last week we talked about the reasons why you might individually have people-pleasing habits and behaviors. And so if you haven't listened to that episode or the two previous ones yet, I would really recommend going back and listening to those first because we've done a ton of really good self-reflection on this phenomenon of people-pleasing and why we do it and what needs it meets for us and how to really dig in and understand that. But today, in this final installment, um, we're going to focus on something we haven't really touched on too deeply yet, which, which is our relationships with others. Which kind of is what people pleasing really is all about um, you know when it comes to how it shows up in our day to day so we're going to talk about strategies for you to be able to have you know meaningful, intimate, fulfilling connections and relationships while also prioritizing and honoring your own needs and you know as a reminder, I am in the process of writing a book about this, so a book about people pleasing. Um, working with an awesome co-author who is also a coach and who has had her own personal journey uh, with people-pleasing, with codependency, just like I have. And so she and I are writing a book that we hope will help you to break up with people-pleasing and really to develop new practices in your life that help you to build healthier, more fulfilling relationships, while also taking really, really good care of yourself. And so more on that to come, but that's all to say that this mini-series is kind of just a really good taste and encapsulation of some of the things that we are including in the book. So stay tuned for more on that. But for now, let's jump in to today's episode. So as we think about people pleasing, as we think about, you know, how we want to show up differently, if we're sort of, you know, we recognize we're a people pleaser and we're done with it, we want life to look different. There is a lot of this thought work that we have to do, and that's what we've been doing really for the last couple of weeks is this self-reflection, right? The thought work, the, the foundation that we're building that's really important, right? You can't really move forward in this stuff until you understand yourself, until you understand the roots of, of this stuff and why it's showing up for you. But the real test and where, where the rubber meets the road, so to speak, with all of this is in how we apply this to our relationships with other people right? That's what people pleasing is all about is the way that we're showing up in our relationships with other people. And so the way that that looks in practice, if we're hoping to sort of adjust or strengthen our practices and relationships is through two things. It's through communication and it's through boundaries. And so I am specifically going to talk through those things and through some strategies to really help you and support you in building new healthier practices in your relationships. And so, the first thing we need to do when we are wanting to approach our relationships differently, the first thing we need to do is to get comfortable naming and owning our feelings. And you're probably thinking, "Aubrey, this is still thought work. This is still internal." And it is to a certain extent. And I know, you know, this can sound also pretty straightforward or, you know, intuitive, like get comfortable naming and owning your feelings like okay sure done but we know that you know if you're someone who struggles with people pleasing if you're someone who struggles with this need to kind of compulsively care for others right we know that naming and owning our own feelings isn't always easy and especially you know if you're someone who and I talked about this a little bit in previous episodes but if you're someone who is so so over on other people that you've sort of lost touch with or become disconnected from your own feelings and your own needs and this can be really hard and when we think about boundaries and we think about communication we think a lot about saying no right or setting limits or you know putting a physical distance between yourself and another person right and this all feels it can feel very dramatic it can feel very intense but i think a huge part of being able to set boundaries right of being able to name what you need and ask for it is first just to get more comfortable in naming what you're actually feeling or even even just recognizing what you're actually feeling even just even if you don't name it out loud that internal feeling of recognition of what you're actually feeling that has to come first and so you know what i would invite you to do is think about this so the reality is that you know when a boundary or a value, or something has been violated for us, we know it, right? We feel that. So I want you to imagine, think about the last time that someone sort of breached a boundary for you, the last time someone did something that felt hurtful, or the last time somebody, you know, wasn't meeting your needs or wasn't considering your feelings. The last time you felt that, think about that and sort of, you know, If it helps to close your eyes, just take a minute to to bring yourself back to that moment and really think about what it felt like. The key here is being able to recognize the feeling. And sometimes that's something you feel physically in your body. Sometimes there's there's an emotion word to go with it. Sometimes you don't necessarily have that. But just being able to recognize whatever it is that you recognize. Because when you're able to recognize the feeling – When you know what's happening, it's, oh, this feeling again. When it begins to feel familiar, what you're going to be able to do is then map it back to the things that led to it, right? When you notice, oh, I'm having this feeling again. And often, I mean, it's the feeling of a boundary being violated. So whether that, that boundary is like, this person didn't take my feelings into consideration. This person did something I asked them not to do. This person didn't do something that I asked them to do. We know that feeling. And so when you're able to recognize it, oh, here's that feeling again. You can map backwards onto, okay, what happened just before I felt that. And this is interesting because this is a this is actually a concept that came up when I, you know, was training to become a foster parent, and we talked about working with kids. And you know, when kids have have emotional triggers of things, kids struggle to be able to name <clears throat> what their emotional experience is. But what we can do is we can help them to understand. If we say, well, why are you angry? They might not be able to answer that, but if you ask what happened right before you got angry. Often a child can can name that for you. Can say, well, this person hit me. Or this person took that thing away and it wasn't fair. Or this person wasn't sharing. Or whatever it was. You know, if you ask it more in in terms of like, what was the sequencing? You felt this way. What happened right before that? It can be a little less abstract, a little more concrete to map it that way. And so when you're familiar with the feeling... When you're able to kind of map it back to the triggers, what we can do is like that gives us, that begins to give us language. We build out kind of a bigger, clearer map, a clearer picture of what the feeling is with the idea that as you become familiar with it, as you feel it in your body, as you notice what's triggering it, that eventually you'll be able to put some words to it, right? You'll be able to name it when you notice it creeping in. So maybe even before you're fully in the throes of whatever the feeling is, you are are able to recognize it it's familiar to you you'll notice the patterns of you know things that often lead to those feelings the patterns of people that might trigger those feelings for you and draw connections there and this is something i am often a proponent of like write shit down i think it's helpful i think even if it's not you know i i don't want to be the person that's like get yourself a journal and like journal about this i think if you like journaling that's awesome if you don't or if you're rolling your eyes at me right now, you could start a fucking note on your phone. I don't care what it is, but I think there is something of value to actually putting this in writing, especially if you're somebody who's like struggling to name and put words to something. Literally just start writing down everything that you're thinking or feeling, right? Just, just getting those words out there and kind of starting to capture that, the things that come to mind for you when you're in that space right whether it's thoughts whether it's feelings whether it's physical body sensations whether it's a particular person and you know i think this first step really like i said is still pretty self focused right it doesn't doesn't necessarily require that you do anything externally in your relationships differently this is more self reflection and noticing but i do think it can help if you have someone who you really really trust who you're close with who you can talk through this stuff with and who can help you to be able to name those feelings. Because ultimately, you know, the next practice that I'm gonna talk about is where you're gonna turn these things outward. So you've done the recognition of the feelings and we're looking to turn it outward. And so next we're gonna to begin to communicate our feelings, needs, and boundaries clearly and directly. So step two is communicating our feelings, needs, and boundaries clearly and directly. And this is the part, and I get this, that can feel scary. This is the part that feels like, oh shit, I like she's serious. I have to really shut people down. I have to say no. I have to disappoint people. What if they get pissed at me? All of those stressful things that are you know, what pushes us into the pattern of people pleasing in the first place. This is the shit we're trying to avoid, right? <clears throat> and so the minute that somebody's like, communicate your needs clearly or just set boundaries and like like it's simple, I get it. It's not. And the first thing I'd say here to the person who's like, oh shit, this is terrifying, is that I think we so often think about boundary setting and we immediately imagine this like really harsh and dramatic event or conversation, right? And I honestly don't think it has to be that way most of the time. Definitely not all the time. And I would say even most of the time. Boundary setting is not like a dramatic, intense conversation. And yes, like I think there are going to be times for everybody that, you know, someone isn't listening to you, someone isn't honoring you, and you have to like really be direct and straightforward with them and like lay shit out there. And those conversations are going to be hard. But I think a lot of the time, and depending on how you approach it, and also depending on your relationship with the person, this can be a lot more chill of a conversation And I think it'll probably feel way less dramatic or different than usual to the other person than it will to you. I think we're like, for us, it can be like, oh, I'm changing something. So I'm hyper aware of what's different. And I don't think it always necessarily feels that radically different or dramatic to the other person. And so I promise I'm going to like give an example of this, of what I'm talking about. But like, I think this can literally look like You know, naming your feelings in a new way, naming your feelings, your needs, your boundaries, clearly and directly. It can literally look like, you know, let's say you're someone who, when someone asks how you're doing, you usually say, oh, I'm fine, no matter what. Even when you're not, even when you feel terrible, even when you feel amazing, you always just say, I'm fine. So getting better at communicating your your feelings or your needs, that could look like instead somebody saying, hey, how are you? And you say, you know, I'm feeling a little bit low energy today. That is a radical fucking shift for a lot of people. That's a a big change. You are naming a feeling, you're putting a feeling out there in a way that actually is quite revolutionary to your relationship with that person, if you think about it. Instead of telling a bold-faced lie to avoid, you know, what you think might be discomfort or someone else, you know, paying attention to you and your needs, you're actually stating what you're actually truly feeling in that moment. But you see how that's not... That's not what we usually categorize or like what we think of when we think about communicating our needs, communicating our feelings, communicating our boundaries. But that does all of those things, right? If somebody asks you how you're doing and instead of saying I'm fine, which I'm fine is like basically is code for my needs don't matter, don't worry about them. And sometimes people mean it when they say that they're fine. I get that. But for a people pleaser, if you're always saying, I'm fine, you're basically saying, oh, my needs don't matter. Let's move on from this now. Versus somebody's asking how you're doing, take them at their word that they really are interested in how you're doing and name it for real and say, you know what, I'm tired. Not only does that name your feelings and put them out there, what that also does in that example is actually, it actually can assert a boundary and it's kind of an implicit foggy boundary, right? But like if I say I'm low energy, then maybe that, you know, that person then knows not to be like, "You want to go for a 10-mile hike?" Or maybe that person knows not to, you know, dump a bunch of high intensity, you know, emotional venting on me because they know that I'm feeling low energy, right? That is a pretty radical shift for a lot of people. And I don't think it's the kind of like intense like you cannot do this to me anymore kind of intensive boundary setting conversation that is also important but I think that we always always go straight to thinking about in this kind of thing and so you know another example is it can look like someone's inviting you to do something hey do you want to go with us to the park and you saying oh you know unfortunately I can't join you but like thanks for inviting me period that's it it could be you saying you know, in the middle of a conversation, you're you're uncomfortable with the topic. It it can literally be saying, "Hey, if you don't mind, I, I actually would prefer if we talk about something else." These are these can be kind of like gentler entries, especially at first, right? And like, yes, I think there are going to be moments for everybody where, and w- you know, where the the people pleasing stuff really comes in is like kind of in a lot of high intensity situations, right? There's going to be moments when things feel higher stakes and you need to name your boundaries and that's going to happen, right? But I think when you're first practicing this skill, when you're first introducing this into your life, if you're somebody who's like been out of touch with your needs for a long time, is just getting reconnected with what those are, is just kind of coming into awareness of what your feelings are, is just kind of warming up to the idea that like maybe setting boundaries isn't mean and horrible, then I think this can feel like a better place to start, right? For introducing this in. The lower stakes stuff, the lower intensity stuff is a really good place to begin. And I think this really is a muscle, right? This is a muscle that you have to build. And it feels uncomfortable, not only because you're afraid of how people are going to respond, right? You go into it and it feels scary because you're like, I don't know what this other person is going to say to me. But it also feels scary because... You just aren't used to doing it. You aren't practiced in it. You aren't used to having these types of conversations. And so the thing to do to get better, to get more comfortable, is to practice. And I think the thing to remember, too, is that when, when you're communicating boundaries, a lot of the time I think we think about communicating boundaries as like, you know, setting this, like creating this wall between us and another person, right? We're pushing them away. But actually what setting a boundary is doing is inviting someone to treat you the way that you want and need to be treated, right? You are showing people what will help you to feel the most loved and supported and you're not asking them to guess or to read your mind, right? That's actually a very kind and loving thing. And I think this doesn't necessarily have to feel, have to feel like you're creating distance between you or someone else. It doesn't have to feel like you're putting a wall up. I think it's actually making a bid for meaningful connection and what i would say with all of this right is that it is really it's really helpful to identify a safe person especially when you get to this place of practicing it externally outside of yourself it really is helpful to kind of have a safe person who you can try this stuff out with and i think this could be like a supportive person in your life who just is generally more attuned to your needs and so you know that like if you test these things out with them they won't respond badly right I think it could also be someone where you feel comfortable saying, you know, hey, I'm trying to work on some new practices for myself. I'm trying to, you know, work on how I communicate and communicate more clearly and set boundaries in my relationships. Um, Would you be open to me trying some of those things with you, right? Uh, Because I think just like with anything else, I think diving into all of this at once in every single one of your relationships can feel really overwhelming, But I think if you can intro it into a few close relationships at first, right, a few relationships with people that you really trust and you can start to incorporate that into your habits and practices with them, that it makes it feel more manageable and more sustainable more broadly. Ask Aubrey is supported by Eliza and Wilde. Eliza & Wild creates all-natural, high-potency CBD products designed to give you targeted everyday self-care, inside and out. Their ingestible and topical CBD products are consciously designed with all-natural and intentionally sourced ingredients and fully recyclable packaging. So it's good for you, and for the Earth. And y'all, Eliza & Wild literally does not have a single product that I don't love. I have them all and everything smells and tastes incredible and is made with ingredients that I can feel good about putting on and in my body. I take the CBD and MCT oil drops daily, and they help me to really keep my anxiety and my tension under control. And they also have a line of amazing CBD topical products, including this lip balm that I am truly obsessed with. And like, did you know that CBD actually has anti-inflammatory properties when you apply it directly to your skin? Because I didn't until I started to use this lip balm and it is changing my life. And also it smells amazing, which we all know is really important. And I know that you're going to love these products just as much as I do. So when you grab yours at ElizaAndWild.com, you can use the promo code Aubrey15 at checkout for 15% off your order. That's ElizaAndWild.com, E-L-I-Z-A-A-N-D-W-Y-L-D.com. And make sure to use code Aubrey15, that's A-U-B-R-E-E-1-5, for 15% off. Okay, and so after you have, you know, become more able to recognize and name your own feelings and needs and boundaries and then when you've started to be able to communicate these out loud to speak them out loud to someone else then what's going to happen next unfortunately is that someone is definitely going to violate a boundary for you at some point someone is going to disregard your feelings they're going to you know break a boundary they're going to do something they said that they wouldn't do they're not going to do something they said that they would do and you're going to be left to figure out how to address that and so To help with that, the next practice that I think is really important is making sure that we decide and commit to consequences for boundary violations ahead of time. Decide and commit to consequences for boundary violations ahead of time. And what I mean by this is basically that when we set a boundary with someone, we need to be really clear, both with that person and with ourselves, about what happens if and when that boundary gets broken. And there are a couple of reasons for this. I think one is because it's really helpful when we're having a conversation with a person about a boundary for them to be really clear on what happens if if they can't meet it or if they don't meet it, right? Um, If we want them to be able to understand and respect our boundaries, they have to know that full picture. But it's also because we know that we don't do our best thinking and decision making in times where, you know, our stress or emotion or pain or frustration is heightened, Right? So in that moment, when someone's violated a boundary, when someone's hurt us, we're not going to do our best like rational thinking in that moment. And so it helps to make a decision ahead of time about when, if and when that happens. And hopefully you make this plan and it never happens. Ideally, nobody ever violates your boundaries. But I, that's not realistic though, So which is why we're talking about this. If we make a decision ahead of time and we really commit to that decision, we commit to maintaining that and honoring that in the moment. Then there's really no question about what we do we've communicated it to that person they made a choice to violate the boundary anyway and we made clear what was going to happen and so now that's going to happen and there shouldn't be any surprises there and so to illustrate that a little more clearly I'll use an example so let's say that I told you you can borrow my car but I ask that you please don't bring food into my car because the smell of old food lingering in my car just really, really bothers me. And so I'm happy to have you use it, but I just ask that you respect that boundary. And if you can't, I can't have you use my car again. So we communicate that upfront. Now, if that person then borrows my car and brings it back to me, and the car smells like french fries, and I find french fries under the seat, I know that this person violated my boundary. And I'm probably going to be pissed because they did what I asked them not to do, exactly what I asked them not to do. I'm going to be frustrated, going to be, you know, um, I'm going to feel devalued that they didn't think my boundary was important enough to respect, that they borrowed my car but like couldn't be considerate enough to follow my one fucking rule about my car. I might not feel great about saying something to them either. Um, I think what happens for folks who struggle with people pleasing that's really interesting and I think for a lot of folks in general is we'll swing in the moment between, you know, one end of the pendulum which is like I'm so pissed they have violated my boundary they have you know hurt me how can they not know that this is hurtful how inconsiderate and then we can swing really far in the other direction all the way to okay am I overreacting like is it stupid for me to be upset about this like maybe I should just forget it like so many people eat in their cars it's not a big deal you know I'll just maybe they won't ever do it again like I'll just let them borrow my car again And so both of the, I mean, neither of these is great, right? I think being hurt is totally normal. And then I think trying to pause and have self-reflection about your anger is totally normal. But what we do then by having communicated this consequence ahead of time, having talked about this with the person ahead of time and decided for ourselves, is that we actually don't even have to think about how to address it in the moment. We don't have to make a decision in the moment. You're able to name to that person like, hey, so as we talked about I asked that you not bring food into my car and it looks like you brought food into my car, so I'm not going to be able to let you borrow my car again. It's, I mean, it's that straightforward. I think we're, you're just hearkening back to a conversation you've already had with the person and just naming like, hey, this is what we talked about. You didn't do what we talked about. So the thing that I said would happen is now going to happen. And I use, I like to use like physical possession boundaries um, examples for like, you know, illustrating these types of concepts because I think the idea of like sharing physical possessions is, is more concrete, and more tangible for people. But it this works for any type of boundary. It works for, you know, if somebody says something hurtful to you, if somebody's not communicating with you in the way that you need, right? If, you know, someone is, you know, demonstrating behaviors and relationships that are violating a boundary for you. I think this works for all of those things. It's really just about naming what the boundary is, and what the consequence for breaking that boundary is going to be ahead of time. And, you know, when we aren't in that super emotional, intense headspace of being in the moment of like our boundary has been violated. And obviously, you know, what makes this really stick in the long run is the follow through. Right. Which is why I think this last practice I'm about to tell you about um, and something that really kind of helps our healthy communication and boundary setting to be long lasting and sustainable is the practice of really staying consistent and unapologetic about our boundaries. And I mean, I think this is is key if your boundary setting is going to be a sustainable practice. You have to stay consistent and unapologetic about your boundaries. If you're feeling guilty and crappy about having set boundaries in the first place, you aren't likely going to stay consistent and hold firm to those, and it's not going to actually be something that that produces meaningful change in your life and I think the key here is remembering that setting boundaries isn't anything to feel sorry for i mean that's and I think that's a lot where a lot of people get hung up it 's why the idea of like you know when I introduced the idea of communicate your boundaries and your needs clearly, like people get scared shitless by that it's really stressful it feels really. Really confrontational, I think. And, you know, I don't, I think that's what causes people to feel so apologetic, to feel like setting a boundary is something to be sorry for, is because we feel like we've caused confrontation, that we're causing trouble. And it makes sense that we think this way when it's so antithetical to what our practice has been, right? When we are so used to making sure that other people get their needs met and we don't ever really communicate about our own in any meaningful way, then having boundaries and expressing our needs and setting limits with people feels really wrong. It feels really confrontational. It feels counterintuitive. And it feels like something we should apologize for. But I am telling you that to make this sustainable, you cannot feel sorry for setting boundaries. You cannot. You have to stop apologizing for setting boundaries. And remember what I said earlier, that setting boundaries is not just creating distance or building walls or being intentionally hurtful or putting people down. It is not stepping all over people. And like—and this is really important, what I'm about to say. I think that we get this confused because as people pleasers, we think that if we stop our people-pleasing behavior that the only option is to make other people feel the way that we've felt. We think if we stop people-pleasing, we'll make other people feel the way that we've felt, that we will make others feel walked all over, we'll make them feel invisible, we'll make them feel like their needs don't matter. And that is not what we're doing here. That's not what we're doing by communicating needs and setting boundaries in a clear way. That's not what we're doing. We're making clear to people how we need to be treated to feel valued and loved and supported. You are giving somebody really clear instructions, like a super clear roadmap for, you know, it, more intimacy with you, for more connection. It This is a way that we can invite people in closer. Someone said this in a comment on one of my Instagram posts, and I really loved it. It's that, you know, Creating boundaries and communicating those isn't building a wall. It's building a bridge. You're not building a wall. You're building a really strong and supportive bridge. So there's nothing. There's absolutely nothing to feel sorry for. Okay? Okay. So to recap, there are really four big things that we're going to put into practice in our relationships that are going to help us. We are going to get comfortable naming and owning our feelings. We're going to communicate our feelings, needs, and boundaries clearly and directly. We're going to decide and commit to consequences for boundary violation ahead of time and finally we are going to stay consistent and unapologetic about our boundaries. And if you're, you know, if you've listened to these episodes about people pleasing and you have found yourself thinking, "Oh my god, this is me. I do all of these things and I am I am ready to build newer, healthier practices, please reach out. This is something that I love talking about. It is one of my absolute favorite areas to coach on and I've helped folks by working with them one-on-one to really change these patterns in their lives and you know to produce healthier and more fulfilling relationships for them both with themselves and with others and I would love to help you do the same so please reach out my email is hello at aubreyhenderson.com I'm on instagram at aubrey that's a four h's v r e e and I'm at Aubrey Henderson Coaching on Facebook. Let's talk. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you loved it, please take a second to subscribe on your favorite platform, leave a rating or a review, and take a screenshot and share it on social media or with a friend who needs to hear a message like this one. I love the chance to hear from you and connect with you because it gives me the opportunity to remind you that you are worthy, worthy of wholeness and happiness and just good things. So send me the question or the topic that's keeping you up at night or that you just want to hear more about. You can send me a voice memo at anchor.fm slash Aubrey Henderson, and I can actually include any voice memos that you send me in the show, which I think is pretty rad. Or you can send a good old-fashioned written message from my website at aubreyhenderson.com. I'll see you next time, babes.